Teenagers. That's right. You are we are treating you almost too well on this show by releasing two episodes consecutively uh, in uh, in a week's within a week of one another. I'm, That's I'm right. for, fortunately, fortunately, there's another episode. Unfortunately, we're gonna scream the entire time at you. Ah! Yeah, I'm I'm almost hesitant to uh, release this episode because I don't want to get people's expectations unreasonably high. Manage you know? them. We just gotta man- manage those expectations. Right. Absolutely. Like Don Draper says, your job is not to make excuses for me. Your job is to manage expectations. So here we are. Uh, you know, getting your like a um, <laughs> like a uh, single father getting your hopes up, only to dash them uh, when we don't show up for Christmas. It's uh, it's your old friend Matt Rather here with Ryan Sheely and Jordan Stokes. It's an embarrassment of riches on the podcast. Jordan's on his cell phone. Hey, Jordan. How's it going? So we did. Uh, you, have, you, have, you have all three absentee dads. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all three of your daddies love you very much, but uh, you know, um, but their self-loathing is such. I don't know that on that they have to spend Christmas alone with a bottle of Jack Daniels and. Uh, uh, and a pro. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about Glee. We did Gossip Girl. We kind of wrapped up Gossip Girl for uh, the hiatus on the last episode, and we're going to talk a little bit about Glee, uh, the after-school special episodes leading up to the um, to the uh, final original song uh, episode. And by after-school special episodes, I mean the uh, the um, alcohol episode. The uh, uh, what the sex episode, and oh, there was one more that was about something. There was a, there was a suicide episode as well, right? Teenage suicide, don't do it. Anyone remember Heather's? That was a great. Uh, that was a great show. Anyway, so um, this is uh, this is an exciting time, uh, but uh, it would be more exciting if you friended us on Facebook. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Go to, <laughs> go to our for lousy whom? for yeah. whom exactly? <laughs> go to our go to our lousy Facebook page. Uh, you can search on Facebook for these fucking teenagers. It's um, uh, <laughs> and I also recommend you do it. Yeah, and also also for this podcast, you can search on Facebook for this podcast as well. Um, you know, actually, we should be on MySpace, really. Um, you know, because because we get a lot more hits for people searching for fucking teenagers, um, and 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 have a lot more have a lot more friends and a lot more traffic. Um, is this a, if, if we had a MySpace? Page. Is MySpace still a thing? I mean, is it is it still something that these kids today use? I know a lot of bands used it for a while because it had some band features uh, that were particularly interesting. But doesn't everyone have a Facebook page now? Not a not a like a user profile with friends and stuff, but a page with likes isn't that what everyone has 
Yeah, it seems like it. it seems like more and more. Um, I mean, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I think that even even globally, certainly like in the U.S., but I think even now globally that um, that 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 the Facebooks are the preferred uh, social network of of these of these teenagers. But again, if you are a teenager and you, you and you use something else or you don't use Facebook. Um, uh, you know, let us let us know. But uh, my sense is that um, Rachel's my my fiance Rachel's uh, younger brother, who's like sixteen now. A couple of years ago, he was really a, a, a devotee of um, of MySpace, and now he's he in the last year or so is uh, entirely converted over to Facebook. So I think that is a, definitely a sign of the times. When I was a child, I social networked as a child. I changed my I changed my background as a child. I picked my top eight friends as a child. Uh, when I became a man, I put away childish things, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Started poking people. <laughs> um, so we have one of these. We have one of these fan pages, and uh, it's it's utterly useless, like all social media. But it is kind of a fun place to meet. Um, and we've been talking a little bit with the the folks who listen to the show, and you can uh, you can meet some of the other fans who are very smart, much like you, um, who are the only person like you who are the only person in their small town that really get these teen soap operas on a very basic level. So um, <laughs> that's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's on Facebook. It's not as opposed to us, uh, us who are who are who are one of many people in our large cities who get these <laughs> who get these teen over, teenage soap operas. <laughs> yeah, all you have to do is read Vulture Blog to know that uh, you know that um, lots of lo- lots of people are in on the joke. But um, oh, so it's these fucking teenagers on Facebook. It doesn't have a fancy URL. You actually have to have to go in and search. Uh, it's um, but it's not censored as it is on um, iTunes, where we are the these f star 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 ing uh, teenagers podcast because uh, the people at Facebook are not fascists. Oh wait, they are fascists. <laughs> they just let you say fuck on their website. So it's uh, if you search for these fucking teenagers, you'll find us and like us on Facebook. Um, the other thing that you can do to help the show get it to a new audience is uh, go on iTunes where you see the where you subscribed to the show uh, on uh, you know iTunes. It's these f star 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 ing teenagers, these effing teenagers, and. Um, uh, add a star rating for us. And don't be all Dadaist and give us one star just for shits and giggles. No, you know, put fucking five stars in <laughs> because we've given you two episodes like, give in us, the goddamn Give row. us kindness that we would not give to you. Um. <laughs> this is, you know, look, we only hit you because we love you, uh, listeners. And uh, we want you to know. No, uh, if, if that, that would be the most helpful thing you can do because that actually, like, pushes us up in there rankings and more people will find the show um if they uh you know if they're searching for glee or gossip girl um if we have some recent uh some recent things so i'm gonna be i'm gonna be flogging that we're also we're on the twitters at uh tft podcast twitter.com slash tft podcast uh you can use the voicemail call us or text us at uh, 20 fat jog Zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. and if you want to email us for any reason um it's tftpodcast at overthinkingit.com. And you can get uh, Jordan, Ryan, or me um, 
at that email address. It goes to all three of us at the same time. So sometimes we have sometimes we have fun, you know, uh, not telling you who's actually responding to um, to what you're saying, uh, and you know we can say contradictory things, and you know, uh, a good time is had by all. Uh, also, uh, you you can join the conversation in the comments on the show notes on overthinkingit.com. All right, now that I have uh, flogged pretty much every damn thing that uh, every damn useless social media outlet that we have, we should actually probably do the show um, rather than just uh, hurl abuse uh, at one another and our listeners. Um, though- I, was, I was thinking a little more abuse than just called an early night, you know, just close it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, shut it down. No, we're. Um, well, we're we're going to talk about Glee. So the um, we have original songs on Glee now, right? And Ryan sent us a long uh, sent Jordan and me a long email about uh, with some interesting thoughts about what it means for Glee to be doing to be doing ori- original songs. That that is to say, to kind of be from an interpreter of music to a to a kind of a generator of music. And and what does that mean? What kind of shift is that? Uh, and what what would it mean if the songs had been covers? Like how does it change? Um, the way that we think about the show. And, and what does it say about the show that the show now is on the charts, uh, not just with its version of classic songs, um, but also with its own, uh, you know, hackneyed, hackneyed though they are, you know, uh, original numbers, one ballad and one, uh, one sort of rockin', what, rockin' teen anthem. Um, Though I still prefer Teenage Suicide, Don't Do It, uh, from Heathers uh, as, a, you know, as an original song. But, Ryan, I don't know. Do you want to kind yeah, of unpack I mean, a little bit what I guess you meant? There, there's a lot of entry points there. I mean, I think the one this – I mean, I, I rewatched the, um, the episode, the, uh, the original song episode last night. And I think you know, because they you know, both in the promo materials and in the title of the episode kept calling it original songs, you know, and at one point um, – Kurt, you know, whispers, oh, oh my God, they're doing original songs. It made me think a lot about originality um, and what it means for a song to be an original song. Sure. Um, and especially, I think the thing that struck me with this, you know, in the way that um, they set it up was interesting, right? Is that, you know, and there's been, this has been a somewhat multi-episode arc, right? We saw the first, uh, Rachel's first attempt to write a song a few episodes ago when she right. wrote a song called, I believe, My my ha- my Headband, right? You know, yes. write what you know. Um, and then, you know, every, um, you know, it was meant to be this linear progression of like, you know, like bad songs or malformed uh, songs uh, all the way up to, um, you know, the hit songs that, that win them regional. So the truly original songs, the songs that are like, you know, taking their musical um, uh, vision and, and, you know, and, and their experience and, and putting that uh, out to the world. And I think that, you know, there's two interesting, there's two things here. One is, you know, I guess I'm, I'm, you know, the, the, these were the, the, let me, let me, that was a that was a wonderful original thought there. A, a, a string of syllables and uh, and sputterings. Um, but what I meant the, to say, the kind of sputtering is, for which we are well known and just you know just these fucking teenagers, the ace of spades, the ace of spades. 
Number nine. See, that's an original song right there. That's that's our uh, yeah, an original song is like "Kill People" by Acceptor. You know, um, Google that. Um, no, but I think um, I mean so like so as an example, um, Mercedes song "Held to the No." Like within like the first, even before the first chorus came around, it was like a very um, you know um, either in you know. In character or in the actual writing, very a very closely patterned on CeeLo's "fuck you," right? Um, and you know, in 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 terms of the sequence, in terms of the use of you know light light vulgarity um, and 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 humor in 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 the in the kind of like in sort of a contemporary um, um, you know uh, phrases in a in a uh, throwbacks uh, kind of Motown style. I mean, it seemed to be um, to be like a it was a good song, um, but was it an original song? Um, you know, in the in the stronger definition of original. I don't know. Thoughts? No, I mean, no, not really. But uh, uh, but I, here's the thing I wanted to say about it. Do you, the second verse was all about how. Uh, how these adults were telling her how he should, how how she should eat right, and uh, and hell to the no, she was going to have her as many tater tots as she wanted, um, and uh, get diabetes. Even, even if she gets diabetes, yeah, exactly. Right? It's my hot body. I'll do I'll do what I want. Um, so there there was a certain almost kind of surrealistic aspect, right, to the to the denial of adult authority um, that the that the song was meant to uh, meant to capture. You know, that is to say, like I'm free, uh, I'm free not only to express myself but also to sort of self annihilate. Right. So, Ryan, your point is that we have to talk about. Uh, different definitions of originality or sort of aspects to originality. Well, yeah, and I think that, I, I think, that, and I guess that there is, it's also, you know, I guess a relationship between also originality and authenticity, right? That, you know, these were, these songs were, I mean, because so lo- most of the songs that Glee sings are, um, you know, not only are there are they pop songs, but a lot of them, you know, in that they are like, you know, they're they're all, to date uh, up until this episode, they were singing other people's songs. A lot of these are kind of down the middle commercial pop songs that are written by some team of songwriters. Like, there's, I mean, I, I it would be interesting to do a, a statistical analysis of the breakdown of like singer songwriter um, songs versus kind of. You know, written writ, songs written by a songwriter for uh, for a performer. I'm going to guess that there is more like the the bulk of what they've done, or at least a plural uh, a majority of what they've done are in the the latter category. Um, and what's interesting is that that's how I would wager. I mean, I haven't um, looked it up, but I would wager that's how these songs were written. Right? These were probably written by by committee of some kind, um, and yet are are um, presented as if they are singer songwriter songs um and and are you know they're they're songs that are you know presented within the world of the show as being you know these these kinds of this um you know expression of of authorship um and yet then they are coming back out into our world as um as as the exact same kind of pop songs that are um, currently uh, sung and performed in in Glee, which is it creates this, um, you know, I guess it also in my mind creates this kind of recursive loop that um, well then like can they. Uh, 
can can uh, loser like me be a song that they cover um, on uh, you know, the, the 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 song from the hit TV show Glee uh, that is now at the top of the Hot 100? You know, Ryan, I wonder if we're not dealing with a false dichotomy though between between singer songwriter songs and. Um... Uh, and songwriting machine songs, because you know the songwriting machine uh, songs are written by um, are written by people also i mean and like a lot of them are are sort of auteurs right there was that one swedish guy or a swedish duo or something like that a songwriting team or something that came up with the 1999 britney spears christina aguilera you know um, sort of the current uh, uh, the current sort of uh, w- movement of teen pop. Um, well, it's funny. It's funny you say that because he was he was actually on one of the part of the team that wrote "Loser Like Me." Oh, really? Hilarious. Yeah, Max Max, Max Martin, uh, who did um, and a lot of those uh, '90s hits: uh, "Hit Me Baby One More Time," uh, "Oops, I Did It Again," "Back uh, Back Streets Back," uh, "Since You've Been Gone," like lots of the '90s and 2000s. Uh, this guy was one of about five or six that uh, that wrote uh, "Loser Like Me." So it's, I mean, but what is the what is the kind of what is the crux of the dichotomy that you that you're getting at, right? Like, it's I think it's music as a um, as an entertainment product, as a commercial product, music as a commodity, uh, and music as kind of an expression of you know a personal truth, right? I guess so. I guess what what is it? I mean, it's it's. Um... The idea, think, you know what I mean? The idea that if, if Stevie Nicks writes Landslide, you know, um, if Stevie Nicks writes Landslide about, you know, I don't know, something that she's feeling very deeply as a member of Fleetwood Mac or something, you know, and performs it, and then uh, Gwyneth Paltrow covers it, there are two kinds of, you know, there are two kinds of... of um, things going on uh and and, uh, right one is one is a um a quote-unquote original expression where um uh you know where this is something that no one has ever said before in quite in quite this way even if it does uh after the fact seem to belong to a genre or even if it does uh after the fact sound like other kinds of music that 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 people have made before but um but when you cover it, what, what you're saying, in essence, is that, like, I don't have the words to quite express the thing that I'm, that I'm trying to express. And so this cover of, um, you know, this cover of this song is what, uh, is what does it for me, right? Like, uh, I'm going to use someone else. I think I'm a lesbian, and a landslide brought it down. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, right, yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. McNeil, uh, who is one of the writers on Overthinking It and occasionally is on the other podcast, um, was going to uh that was they were going to like he was in a band in high school that was going to perform that song and his girlfriend was the singer or something like that he played drums and then there were you know guitarists and a bass player and whatnot um they were going to perform it at their high school graduation in alabama where he grew up and they were uh they were forbidden for from doing so on the grounds that stevie nicks was a witch so uh <laughs> on uh on on grounds of witchcraft they were uh prevented from wow. singing landslide but um that witch stevie nicks is uh casting her sapphic spell over the ladies of glee i suppose um but that's uh, that's well, actually so just to, just that's to really, respond to your point 
That's a really good example, though, because that's what's happening in the story also, is that, you know, Santana is like, I'm not good with this, you know, uh, I'm not good with this this words stuff. I'm not good with talking about the feelings. And so I'm kind of going to kind of reach out through... um, through the medium of this song, to uh, to to use it as a cover to express um, to express what I'm to express what I'm feeling. It's something that Jordan has has written about before uh, on OverthinkingIt.com uh, about how you can kind of as a teenager you can sort of and as an adult uh, you can you know I hope you die I hope we both die you can kind of live through a song you know what I mean and let um and uh, you know what I mean and kind of let it. Uh, it, it becomes sort of an anthem for you, and the way that that the way that that happens is is one of the explicit uh, subjects of of Glee. It seems like, and I'm I'm not saying any of this to argue with you or to to try to disprove what you've said. I'm just trying to no, kind of, no. I'm trying to kind of stretch out what what the dynamics are of sure. cover versus original and different kinds of originality and what it me what it means, right? Well, maybe maybe why it was interesting, and maybe to like take it in a slightly different. Um, you know, direction or to kind of uh, illuminate another angle of it is, you know, I think what it made me think about and maybe where there is a, a tension is in the depiction of, of process, right? Or, you know, if there is a difference in uh, between, um, you know, writing a song that you will sing yourself versus, you know, either singing a cover or singing something that's been, um, that's been written for you is, is sort of how how the process works, right? I think what was interesting and what the, you know, the, you know, having, you know, the, the, the fictional writing of pop songs, um, is, it, it was, was interesting to me, right? Um, in that, you know, they, they sort of, um, you know, had the songs written, uh, both for Rachel's song, the, uh, the get it right. And the, the group song, the loser like me. And they, um, you know, basically produced the songwriting process through a, you know, a fictional songwriting process through, through backwards induction, right? Saying here's the song and, uh, here is how it was written. You know, it's like, you know, there's the scene where, where Schuster is, um, you know, writing the, all the things that, uh, Sue did up on the board. And then that's how the song, that's where the song comes from. Um, I just, I mean, I've not really done a lot of songwriting, but it was—I thought it was interesting to me that this, you know, how they fictionalize and, and the process. And I mean, I know both of you have done your your share of of songwriting um, and you know music composition. So I, I, I wanted to hear you you guys sort of talk about process and um, you know I don't know if either of you have you know had the experience of performing music that you've that you've written. I know, you know, Mark Lee, who also writes for Overthinking, has done some live performance of his music in addition to having things played for others. But I'm wondering if, you know, as as people have written songs, I mean, do you see this this difference in, you know, in process, whether you're, you know, uh, as you've both written and performed um, both your own and others' works. And so I, I, I'd love to hear you kind of think about, talk a little bit about process and, um, and, and creativity in, uh, in, in the production of music. Well, sure. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, the, the way that they show it on Glee is not super accurate. First of all, there's a there's sort I guess of that's a little ball. bit of a low hanging fruit, but like I think the uh, yeah, it's probably, but but uh, I, I hope I hope the ways in which it's inaccurate are interesting. <laughs> 
Well, first of all, this well, first is, this of all is no one wears wall. no one wears headbands, so that's totally unrealistic. <laughs> and that's like you know, that's just for one. Yeah, there's a, there's an iron law of uh, like creating fiction, which is that it's always based in a very direct one-to-one basis on things that are happening in the character's life right at that moment. And that's the right. only way that anything is ever invented. No one ever, no one ever creates anything, right? They just sort of refilter their current uh, outside surroundings into the artwork. You have whole movies like Amadeus is based on taking works by Mozart, which don't seem to be about anything at all, and finding things for them to be very directly about. Shakespeare and Love is the same deal, right, for Shakespeare. Um, so it's no surprise that uh, that Glee isn't going to hold itself to a higher standard than Mozart or Shakespeare, I guess. Um, still, I mean, in, in many ways, I think that the accurate uh, version of creativity that they show is the headband song. Like, I can imagine that. <laughs> I can imagine sitting down and trying to write yeah. a song and not having any ideas and, like, trying to think of what rhymes with the first band thing I see. Um, very often when I am, like, writing music, or, or writing anything like in that kind of creative mode, what gets you going is like one little spark of an idea. You think of like two words that rhyme with each other in kind of a funny way. And then you just sort of spin that out. And then maybe you get your way all the way through, uh, through a chorus. And at that point, then you, you try to think of a contrasting bridge. And you try to think of a contrasting verse and so on. And, uh, and maybe at the end of the day, you have a song. But uh, the idea of first writing down all of the big emotional traumas that are going on in your life, and then <laughs> by some kind of committee process, you know what, really, like, what I'm really fascinated by, uh, which they didn't show because, of course, they couldn't, is that's how they figured out what the lyrics were going to be about, right? How did they write the music? Did they, like, write down all the pitches that they were going to use on the blackboard and then vote? <laughs> like, okay, we're going to have a C-sharp in it, right? <laughs> no, they just, gave, they just made this, like, huge pile of, like, like you know, totally, like, caffeinated, like, notes and, like, um, and, like, a big pile of papers to the piano guy and said, all right, here's our song. Make it happen, piano man. Yeah. That's how a lot, of, uh, that's how a lot yeah. of journal articles are written, right? Absolutely. Yeah, basically. basically. Well, I mean, I, I, my, um, oh, someone, someone in my family who's older was telling me about their story on, uh, about their time on the Yale Law Review. And, like, uh, apparently professors would just drop off file folders full of disorganized notes. And the idea is, here's my law review article. Have had it, kids. You know, and the, the uh, well, it's because they, they don't have peer review. Um, you know, so they they just it's a it, law journals are a very insidery process where it's all kind of solicited um, and and is largely exists in some ways to you know pad the resumes of the students, and so then they uh, exist in a st- symbiotic relationship with uh, the the faculty who um, pre- you know they they pretend. pretend Tend to uh, produce articles, and the the students pretend to uh, edit them. <laughs> have you have you guys ever been to a show choir concert? Because I have not, you know. And uh, right, and you'd think that I would, with my you know, I don't know, extensive knowledge and love of musical theater. Um, as a uh, you know American heterosexual, um, obviously uh, I love musical theater and I go to Glee Club concerts. And I have not. I have not. Uh, I don't know. Have you recently? I, you know, not I since high school. I, you saw it on YouTube. Yeah. 
what uh what what uh show choir was it <laughs> um, it was yeah. the, the people who won the, whoever won national show choir championship which apparently there is such a thing like five years ago now i guess um i i had a guy that i worked with who like really knew about this kind of stuff and he was like hey check out this awesome show choir and he showed me like their award-winning song i was fairly underwhelmed as i recall but you know this was this was before Glee, so before before the love uh, of show choir that dare not speak its name had quite been kindled in my heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, my my only memories of of show choirs are from when I was in high school, and the you know I, I a few times I had some friends who were in the Mannheim Township High School troubadours, um, <laughs> and it, it was definitely. Nice. You did know, they, did they travel hmm? across provincial France, uh, medieval provincial France, trying to get women to sleep with them, and uh, you know, earning their earning their meager subsistence living by singing in the great hall, halls of lords? Yeah, you know, in a way, uh, in a way, yes. <laughs> those, those are those are jongleurs, really. The troubadours were more financially stable. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Sorry, you just stepped into my house. <laughs> we're, no, we're good never to know. Good to know. <laughs> um, was, was there a, was there a follow up question to the? Um, have you seen a show car concert, or were you just curious? sort of? I, I was just curious. Like, is it you know? Is it like this? I wonder if show choirs are going to. I wonder if there's going to be a trend, you know, in. Um, Show choir and glee club or I mean they're different things like a glee club and a show choir They call it a glee club, but it's really a show choir because it has Mm -hmm. you know dancing and costumes and and sort of Theatrical effects and things like this. I think of a glee club as kind of stand as being a large chorus Right that that just sort of stands there and sings Um, Right mm -hmm. it's like the 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 troubadours were the man I'm township troubadours were the kind of elite arm of the of the you know theatrical singing uh uh ensembles at at our high school right there was a glee club that just about anybody could be in like even i could have been uh in the glee club even though i you know could not sing uh, could not uh carry a tune in a bucket as my grandfather would say hey i've heard uh, uh, i've heard high school <laughs> what, what was that i've heard exemplary high school Yes. Oh, exactly. No, I mean, I, 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 I speak sing more than I sing. You know, there was no, um, you know, there was no, uh, uh, hold steady, Jordan, there's a German steady show choir. There's a German, there's a German word for that. Isn't there Jordan in, in, uh, there you go. Ryan, there's a German word for the thing that you do. Yeah. It's not, it's not incompetent. It's avant-garde. <laughs> oh, exactly. I mean, don't don't worry. That's I mean, that's like the subtitle of my life, right there. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and uh, it's, not, it's not a bug; it's a feature. You know, and uh, and of this podcast, yeah. uh, apparently. Um, the uh, but yeah, the uh, the video the video that I saw of a show choir performance was basically along the same lines as the stuff that you see on Glee. Like, there wasn't as much dancing, but there was. It was basically about the same thing. Well, it's hard. You can't have everybody singing and dancing at the same time. I mean, just, you know, like there's a lot of like lifting and sort of, uh, you know, partner dancing and sort of dipping on Glee that it would be impossible to do and sing at the same time because you can't bend at the waist while you're singing. I mean, you can't like, you know, you can't bunch your lungs up while you're uh, 
uh, while you're trying to make noise, right? That just so there's right, there's sure. usually there's usually a group of of dancer singers and then a group of singer dancers, and you know the the mm-hmm. the people who are primarily singers stand still and sing. The people who are dance, you know, move their mouths along with the words and maybe make a little sound, but they're they're usually there to do dancing and stunts and and. Um, uh, and stuff like this. Yeah. I don't know. I was just, I mean, I was just curious. I would love it. I think it would be all to the good for American culture if there was this flowering of local songwriting. You know what I mean? If they're yeah. like, sort of, if um, the, way, the way every town used to have a band, you know, if every town mm-hmm. suddenly uh, had a, um, what, a, a choir that would sing original songs written by the, uh, the people there. And yeah, 99% of them would be awful. 99% of all artistic production at any level is always awful and always has been and always will be. But, you know, it, it just seems like rather than pouring money, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting soapboxy, but, but rather than pouring no, no, money down the, uh, down the gaping maw of, you know, the <laughs> capitalist system that wants to sell you Kesha, you know, that wants to like that's, that's key key dollar sign ha <laughs> key dollar yeah. sign ha. Rather than doing that, you know, and rather than like rather than every damn high school um, doing uh, fucking oh I don't know what the hell do they do Brigadoon right in the church basement? Um, can you think of anything more dull? Like, wouldn't it be great if there was this flowering of of really authentic? Uh, artistic production, right? I'd rather see a musical about what it's like to grow up in, I don't know, name a name a, a play, Manhattan, Kansas. You know what I mean? I'd rather see a musical about what is, it's what is it's that like. Called High School Musical. <laughs> 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 Something not produced by Disney. Something made by the actual people telling us about their lives. But Here's what it's like to be a kid in Mesa, Arizona. You know, I'd rather see and and these these damn arts teachers. You know, you know what I mean? The uh, the the um, the Corky St. Clairs, right of every of every high school, um, who you know who buys his clothes for his wife Bonnie. Um, the uh, God, I'm very far afield, aren't I? Um, all these people wouldn't they be serving? Wouldn't they be serving uh, serving everyone better if they were actually empowering people to to create art? Uh, rather than actually, rather than rehashing the, you know, the, the MTI's greatest hits, uh, that's the licensing organization that licenses all the all the big musicals, right? Like, wouldn't do do we really need one more bad production of Little Shop of Horrors? You know, like. Here's the thing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to respond to this. <laughs> I, I think that that would be great. I think it would be awesome, but. Unless you actually had a vast flowering of it, um, any individual instance of it wouldn't be meaningless. And this is one of the things that I found most interesting about the uh, the original song episode. Uh, there's a lot on Glee that happens that's impossible about artistic production, right? Like they rehearse a new song for one day, and then it comes out, and it's better than anything they ever did before. And they write this song collaboratively in a week or whatever. The, the part where Kurt, like, listens to five bars and then turns out and is like, OMG, they're doing original songs. That's impossible. And it's an impossible thing about artistic reception, uh, which is something that's, that's new. Like, that's the first time that we've heard people listen in an impossible way. Because think about it. How is Kurt supposed to know that, right? They, she sings ten notes, and he's like, oh, my God, I know all the songs, and they're not doing any of the songs, so therefore it must be something entirely new. <laughs> 
right? Impossible, utterly impossible. And most people who go to show choir concerts go expecting to hear classic hits. And if they hear a song that they don't know, they'll think, I didn't know that song, but clearly it's a classic hit. Most people who even go to live band concerts are going mostly to hear, um, this, is, this isn't really quite true. If you're going to the live band concert, probably, unless you're a fairly atypical person, you want to hear the stuff off of their big albums. Like the new stuff, you know they're going to do it, but you're not really looking forward to that. And if you go out to like a bar where there's a live band, you mostly want to hear them play cover songs. And like every now and then, they're like, okay, now we're got, now we're we're done playing Billy Joel for now, we're Bon Jovi for now, we're going to play an original number. And like ninety percent of the people are like, ugh, and go get another drink. Yeah, it's time to there time, to, time to have venues. a cigarette. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, that's, there are that's... some venues. Uh, 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 let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> there are some yes, venues yeah, yeah. where original music is is like important, and people go there yeah. to hear that. But those are self-selecting venues. Now, when you go there, you listen very carefully to every song that comes out, and you experience it as new, and you watch what it's doing with the conventions of songwriting form and songwriting from substance and lyrics and this and that and everything. And you'll say things like, "Oh wow, like that was a really original song. I'm really glad that I heard that." But unless you go in with that mindset, any kind of originality that is being brought to the table from a songwriting perspective is like completely lost on you. Mm. That's, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I mean, as, as I, in some sense, listen to your, um, the comment, maybe I'm over like interpreting what you say, but in some ways that, you know, the idea of a, a truly original song is the, like, this is the first time this is heard, right? That, and even like a, you know, that in some ways when a band is, 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 you know, is playing a song even that it wrote, it's covering it, right? That every, you know, like, and that is like in some ways part of the essence of, you know, going to see a band perform, you know, uh, a live show is that you don't want to go and like, you know, have, um, you know, Lasavi Fav show up and then have them press play on the boombox. Um, and and <laughs> though they, though they mean, fucking would, wouldn't they? That band would. I mean, I mean that would be cool. I mean, the, the thing is, I guess I maybe do want that a little. That was like the bad, like band, the first band to like pop out of my head. But you know, like you don't want you don't want Bon Jovi to go and play, put, press, you know, just plug in the iPod and play uh, Bon Jovi's greatest hits over the over the speakers. Um, but you want them to do on like Radiohead. But you don't want them to play all the songs you don't know either, right? Wouldn't that be, like, wouldn't like a, that be a amazing? Match. Like I can imagine that. Like John Bon Jovi walks out on stage. He's got an iPod in his hand. <laughs> he walks to the mic that's at the center, uh, you know, down center stage. Except it's not a mic at all. It's a uh, it's an, a uh, three and a half millimeter headphone jack, right? And he plugs it. <laughs> he plugs it into the iPod, right? In in a spotlight, in a single spotlight, and hits play on the iPod, and then sets it down on the stool. That uh, was, you know, for him to sit on. And then he walks upstage, and the lights come up upstage, and there is a table, right? Uh, And the band members are sitting around the table, and arrayed around the table are all manner of uh, deli meats and, um, you know, all kinds of cold cuts (laughs) and different kinds of bread and condiments and sandwich toppings. (laughs) 
And while the iPod is playing, the members of the band sit around the table, pass things to one another, put bread, spread mustard and mayonnaise on the bread, you know, put some cold cuts on the bread, make sandwiches, and eat the sandwiches there in front of the audience while the iPod plays a playlist of... Uh, their greatest hits. That would be a concert that I would pay $150 for a ticket to go see. What if, what if, uh, what to, I... to, to pops, what if they, uh, they actually hand the sandwiches out to the audience so everyone gets a sandwich? Or, or, what if, rather than playing Bon Jovi's greatest hits, the band is still Bon Jovi, but they play uh, that one Onyx CD that was really popular. <laughs> uh, back it the fuck up, I believe it's called. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> that would be well. I think we're. I think in some ways, what we're getting at is, you know, we we talk a lot about, um, you know, experimental noise collectives on this podcast, um, but in, in some ways, right, that is. You know, and maybe maybe this wasn't the the kind of venue uh, explicitly what you were kind of talking about, Jordan, when you were talking about the you know scenes where where people go to perform and hear original music um, of some way or another. But you know, this kind of um, you know both you know that made me think of. Um, made me think of of largely improvisational music, wh- music whether that is you know impro- you know the the most kind of um, free the freer um, of of the kind of contemporary jazz or the the very um, largely improvisational or um, you know kind of uh, free free uh, noise scenes that that, that, are, that go on th- mm. at various places throughout the uh, throughout the country. Um, I mean, and there are also then are also though other kinds of new new music showcases in which songs are not improvised per se, but are are turned out in very you know um, that that are that are not um, you know standards uh, in, in any way. But it, it, as you, as you say, that has this very you know experimental character to it in some sense, and and that mm. it, you know that in the same way that you know that kind of the 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 um, Bon Jovi uh, Delhi Slam, uh, you know, <laughs> would, fit, would, would, would uh, and yes, that is the title of this episode, and I will accept nothing else. Yeah. Um, uh, the, bon, the Bon Jovi Delhi Slam is actually a great example of a kind of um, you know experimental performance piece, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, Matthew Barney would film that. <laughs> oh, yeah, let me let me uh, let me throw it at you another way. Um, y- your friend and mine, Theodore Adorno, uh, went on record famously <laughs> saying that <laughs> that popular music um, is is never original. That any originality which you find in it is only a false consciousness, and that the way that you can tell a pop song is that it's exactly the same as every other pop song, except it's been changed the least perceptible amount so that people will not realize that it's exactly like every other pop song. Because it needs to be similar Mm. enough that it will uh, coax dollars out of your pocket. So it's like whatever's currently happy, change it just enough so that it's uh, that it seems original, even though it's not, and then sell it. And I mean, obviously he uh, he has yeah. his blinkers on and he's got an axe to grind, but there is something to that. But like a truly original song would not be ex- you couldn't experience it as music because it would be so far out there that like 
you know, because it, it is completely original. It doesn't build on anything that you have any experience with that you would have to experience it as some kind of noise. So even the most mm-hmm. like extreme noise rock that's out there now doesn't count as this because, you know, you would experience that as noise rock. There's like the, the language that sort of formed yeah. over that wound. Um, and like, and there's a big scab there and you just built onto the scab. You would need to be, I don't right. know, like breaking your fingers live on stage or something. Right. Well, or there's a, like there's a there's a band quote unquote band that I've talked about on this podcast before. Actually, I think on the experimental noise collective um, episode, uh, there's a band called the Piss Sect, which I believe is based out of um, uh, uh, out of out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Wasn't that and the uh, wasn't been, that the NEA funding scandal of you know a decade and a half ago? Quite possibly. I, I don't I don't know. Um, but the the Piss Sect. They, I think they only produce um, music on cassette tapes, and they're, they're contemporary, uh, but they only produce cassette tapes. And I have one of their cassettes that I bought at uh, a, oh, a, a, a record store called Eat Records uh, in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Um, and it is, it is basically a, two sides of, of slightly modulated, like, static and feedback. Um, <laughs> that sounds, it is noise. It sounds fantastic. Yeah. Sounds like the kind of thing I used to download on eMusic before they sold out and got all commercial. Um, well, that's what I mean. On eMusic, you'd be like, oh, I have two more songs left this month. Oh, I'll check out this band, The Piss Sect. Um, <laughs> exactly. That's, that's what made eMusic so great. And when they, when they raised their prices and brought in the, what was it, the Sony catalog, it all went to shit. Uh, I get my music from the waffles now. Um, but I, I, I mean, something that Jordan is talking about is, um, right, like, I think is important uh, to our discussion of originality, which is that art always exists in a tradition of art. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the, yeah, and, and yeah. the way that art makes meaning is in a web of reference to other art. You know, this is... Uh, exactly. And yeah. this, is a, this is a little postmodern, you know, but, um, but you know, everyone, hold on. Buckle your, buckle your seatbelts and, you know, let's... <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> right. So there, is, there is no, you know, origin and end to your seatbelt. It just is a, a, a constant stream of reference. Um, <laughs> that, uh, the, pop, songs, <laughs> pop songs don't go out into the world. You know what I mean? Pop songs aren't about things... Uh, in the world, pop songs are about other pop songs and about pop songness mm-hmm. and about you know um, about the making of about the production of pop songs and about the uh, the kind of the, the web of pop songness in in which uh, pop songs exist. It's um, you know uh, right, and so I wonder if from that point of view, because because I I imagine that you guys are sort of with me uh, to to a certain extent on this. Um, what yeah, kind of- you always imagine that we're with you. <laughs> I do. It helps me to sleep at night, Jordan. You know, whatever gets you through the goddamn night. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm a very hairy pillow. I'm, I'm, I I'm, with, I'm with you. I'm with you, but against you. So, <laughs> um, what what kind of what kind of pop songs are the two original songs on um, on? Uh, on Glee, right? What kind of pop songs? Like, what are the what are the obvious references? Like, I think that the um, uh, oh, um, I think like uh, uh, Christina Aguilera's uh, the, the song that she popularized called uh, "Beautiful," right? That uh, was written by written by a songwriter, but that she she really popularized and is kind of the the sort of notional owner of, right? Is a sort of clear reference to that. It's that kind of song, isn't it? 
The which one? Yeah, the, that's the Rachel song. song. Yeah, the the uh, until I get it right. I can't get it right. Or how many times do I have to do it until I get it right? Right. Yeah, there's um there's one that she actually sang. I forget what musical it's from. It's like maybe this time. Yeah, that's from Cabaret. Do you remember that? Yeah, I felt like that. There was a little of that floating around. Sure. The, um, the Glee Club one, like the collective Glee Club one, is a little easier to place. So y'all, y'all already mentioned Silo's uh, Fuck You. I'd say there's also like a, a 20% Amy Winehouse rehab thing going on there. I really felt there was a little bit of Smash Mouth All Star up in there as right. well. <laughs> yeah. More than yeah. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, one thing that I wanted to say before before we go uh, further down this road, although I think this is interesting and we should continue with it, is that um, once you start thinking of writing pop songs that are reminiscent of other pop songs as not a defect but a, a feature of sort of just how, how pop music and really any music works, then you can start to see the process of taking a song by someone like Rihanna and making it your own by applying it to stuff in your own life and singing a, an interesting version of it, and then writing your own song, which is reminiscent of Rihanna, those aren't really such different activities, right? Like, they're, they're kind of points on a single continuum. So, um, and, you know, either, either all songs are original or none are, I guess. Well, I mean, but I'm wondering if there's like a middle ground, you know, when I, when Matt was kind of, um, both when you, you mentioned Adorno and when Matt was kind of, you know, saying that all so- pop songs are, you know, with, with reference to, to other pop songs, you know, it made me think a little bit about, you know, I guess, you know, and Matt, you were probably tiptoeing uh, on this a little bit or, or not, but it made me think a little bit about some of, uh, some of Harold Bloom's theories about, about strong uh, artists and strong, you know, sort of strong um, artistic production. And, it's, and, and you know, what, what's interesting is that, you know, it struck me that, you know, Jordan, what you said about, um, you know, Adorno kind of was an inverse of this kind of, you know, strong misreading as the way that, you know, um, pop, in this case, music gets pushed forward, um, is that if you want to make popular music, you, you change as little as possible, right? That you, you actually, mm-hmm. um, you want to, um, you actually want to have as, as much anxiety, you know, as much influence as possible, right? And, and, and you and want yeah. to be as, as kind of legible within a tradition, whereas the, you know, because because there is some somewhere between this kind of you know radical originality and um, changing the least amount perceptible. There is the space for you know the the you know taking you know as uh, you know small bits of influence um, and inspiration and either combining in, in unexpected ways or or. Um, you know, misin- you know, in- misinterpreting through instrumentation or or lyrical contact or something in a in a in a way that um, actually you know changes you know the, the uh, you know, you do this until you know the Arcade Fire wins a Grammy right um, and then that is now the default <laughs> um, right um, yeah this is a underground band that it, you know that now you know wins Grammys and uh, and is on Saturday Night Live so. 
Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely fair. There's there's a sweet spot in the racket, right, where it's like it's different enough to be really interesting, but similar enough to be familiar and accessible. And when pop music at its best, which uh, again, like as I say, Adorno really had an axe to grind. It's not like he listened to an awful lot of pop music and an awful lot of jazz and then came to an honest decision. He made his decision and then he wrote his piece. Um, but those of us who love pop music, I think, would would, uh, would totally agree with you that, you know, the possibility for something really interesting and within certain limits, truly original, does exist. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, the Bloom's, the uh, sort of anxiety of influence theory is not versus, it's not like bad artistic production versus strong artistic production. It's weak, yeah, mis, yeah. It's weak misreading versus strong misreading. That is to say, yes, they're, both, yes. they're both types of the same thing. It's just that huh, one, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's just that one happens to, one happens to kind of push you to a new place or one happens to what uh, happens to willfully neglect some of the uh, mm, uh, mm-hmm. assumptions that you're supposed to come to the work with um, in the right. name of, uh, you know what I mean? In the name of kind of, uh, pushing through to uh, pushing through to something new, um, but still, it's you know it's interesting. It's interesting not because not because of its relationship to the world. It's interesting because of its relationship to past art. Still, right? Right, and and to, and and the me- and yes, and 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 to, and to meaning, right, and to like the meanings that are that are produced um, in some sense, right? Sure. Well, I mean, right. But is there? You know, I was trying to think about this. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of like. What, what's the difference between Depeche Mode and Pearl Jam, you know? Like, uh, I, I, and that was just what came to mind for, like, an 80s, you know, a kind of a quintessential sort of 80s. I feel like there's, I feel like there's a good punchline there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. Um, the, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I'm I think there's to... a good punchline there somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. Go on. Um, I, I was just trying, and that's not a very good example. That's the bad. That's the bad version of the of the thing I'm trying to uh, to put out. But like, it, you know, when I don't know, when we were 13, 14, something around there, like this grunge thing happened, and it seemed very new. You know, it seemed very new at the time. Um, but I think there's actually, I think it's more interesting to talk about what is the same between Depeche Mode and Pearl Jam than uh, than what is different, right? Hmm. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, uh, you know, right? The, a kind of a, a kind of moodiness. You know what I mean? A kind of uh, uh, a kind of uh, focus on the experience of of the self and the kind of trials and tribulations of asserting identity uh, in the face of a uh, of an, an indifferent world. Uh, a lot of the time. Um, well, they, both, uh, they... they both aspire Sorry. to grandeur. <laughs> no, no. You go. Well, I think also um, Depeche Mode. Um, oh, didn't they? I, I feel like they put an album out in the '90s that was then, you know, itself a bit influenced by what was going on. Um, I feel like did, did Depeche Mode do "Come Undone," um, or am I am I am I not uh, ascribing that uh, somebody else's song to Depeche, Depeche Mode? As we all Google. No? Uh, it's, it's, I'm not finding it. Isn't that um, Duran Duran? I, or no? Dep- that's Duran Duran. That is Duran Duran. So there, there you go. Yes. So I think Duran, yeah. So I, I was associating Duran Duran, who also was, it was an 80s band. Um, 
Although, although, all right, I'm going to say that I'm correct anyhow. Um, but from from Wikipedia, <laughs> saving, um, is that uh, the members of Depeche uh, Mode regrouped in Madrid in January 1992. Dave Gahan had become interested in the new grunge scene sweeping the U.S. and was influenced by the likes of Jane's Addiction and Nirvana. Um, and and they put out uh, a 93 album called Songs of Faith and Devotion, um, which was the first I, which was the first CD that I ever bought. Wow. Yeah. And it begins, it begins with 30 seconds of screeching noise uh, that is so loud and so jarring that I stopped it because I thought I had broken the CD player. Because <laughs> it, it was new. I mean, it was the first time I'd ever put a CD into a CD player of my own and press play. And on comes this sound before the, before the guitar part comes in. And I thought, I'd, I thought I'd fucked it up. I thought I'd broken my Christmas present. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same way. The first cassette tape I ever had was was the Piss Sect, and I thought the same thing <laughs> happened. Um. <laughs> well, that's that's the other thing, which again I think I, I wrote about this a little on the site, is that however formulaic any uh, pop sound is and any emotion is, for each person it is new at some point. You know, like it's not like we're ever going to evolve to the point as a species where we no longer need Justin Bieber. Sure. Or, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, or where we can finally, like, I don't know, uh, put, uh, we can finally, like, trash those goddamn C.S. Lewis novels, right? Uh, you know, they're always going to be necessary as a stage for, for someone mm-hmm. to go through. Um, yeah, and, and if not them, like, they will probably reach the point where they're old enough that they're only read by, like, literary scholars, who, who want to know, like, what was going on in, uh, I don't know, when exactly were those things written. But, uh, but like, the next version of them will come down the pipe, right? And they will, they will be necessary. Sure. Um, yeah. So, back on the, uh, the original songs from Glee, I have to say, and I'll, again, I will, I will brook no argument here, Trouty Mouth, by far the best of the songs. Absolutely. Oh, easily. <laughs> easily. Easily. <laughs> I, I kind of wanted to hear the next, the next verse. <laughs> yeah. And, and can we, uh, if maybe we'll transition with this uh, into, like, the other thing that we could talk about uh, that's been going on on Glee, which is how hilarious is it that uh, Santana sort of breaks with, uh, with Britney and says, I'm going to write a heterosexual love song about my boyfriend, my heterosexual boyfriend, and immediately writes a giant hymn to the labia. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> um... Well, I, you know, it's, uh, I would love to get into the, um, to the after-school special episodes of Glee, but we may have to leave that for another time, because we've been going for a little while, and... Uh, oh, we have? Oh, nice. It's time to put this... Pot- I know. <laughs> the time re- the- I thought we were still trying to fill minutes. <laughs> no, the time really flies when we're in the thing, so we'll, uh, we'll do that. We'll do another episode for you. You may even get three weekly episodes in a row that uh- don't... Sorry, I'm I'm kind of stuck on 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 labia face. I mean, I mean, um, because I because I, I I both hadn't actually even really thought about trouty mouth as uh, as being about uh, vaginas, and then it makes sense. Then her being with Sam also makes sense because he really does have um, a big one right there on his face. Uh, just... <laughs> okay. Um, wow. Just as, as one final thought, when I was in high school, um, <laughs> I 
I, I very much so wanted to. This is this is what you know in my mind passed for um, for cleverness. Um, was I, I wanted to uh, make a website. This is the very early days of the World Wide Web. I want to make a website that said, "Click here to see uh, my um, my gallery of Georgia O'Keeffe paintings," and you click, and it's just up close pictures of um, vaginas. Um, and it was. <laughs> It's, it strikes me, it strikes me that in it's still on the back burner. <laughs> it strikes me that in in um, right in in characteristically thirteen year old in characteristically adolescent fashion, you got the joke exactly backwards, right? Like it would be funny. <laughs> it would be funny if it were click here to see my gallery of vaginas, and uh, it was all Georgia O'Keeffe paintings, right? That I didn't want. I did not want to see Georgia O'Keeffe. <laughs> <laughs> oh god but again you know this, this brings us back to the idea of originality and uh and differences in a system the reason why georgia o'keefe matters is not that she painted vagina after vagina but that they're all so interesting and so well painted metaphorical vaginas sure mm. Yeah, and it's true that, like, well, um, you know, it, it's true that, like, uh, though there are there are many many vaginas in the world, and many many more now that we have the internet. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> heterosexual heterosexual teenage boys are never not going to be fascinated by them, right? And there's a there's a lesson about pop music there, you know. That's true. That is that is to say, I I suppose I could say that in a in a slightly less heteronormative uh, and misogynistic way. Though why would I want to? Well, um, what is this? The overthinking of podcast? <laughs> yeah. Really? yeah, we're yeah we're we're big into the identity politics on the overthinking it podcast. Um, no, uh, there's. Um, <laughs> Which is ironic because the media that is covered on the Overthinking podcast doesn't have to do with identity politics, whereas Glee is all about it. Right. Um, yeah, it's totally about forming the self and in relationship to society. Anyway, um, the uh, you know at a certain uh, you know there's there's a lot of sex in the world and more that we have that we have the internet, but um, you know people aren't going to to be any less anxious about having it for the first time and having it again and again and again uh, because it's been had before. You know, and pop music is is the uh, is the same <clears throat> way. Pop music is <clears throat> kind of is kind of like doing it in in that particular. Uh, in that particular respect, the fact that there's nothing new under the sun um, does not really obtain. Uh, yeah. uh, the fact that there's a lot of it you can get uh, through questionably legal channels on the internet <laughs> still still does not really. And you obtain. and you might get a virus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> well, but uh, but we should leave that for the discussion of the um, of the morality tale episodes of Glee, which I guess maybe we'll do next time. Uh, so until then, you can um, you can uh, be our friend, like us on the Facebook, and there's a uh, there's a link on the show notes to where you can like us on the Facebooks. Uh, follow us on the Twitters at TFT Podcast. Email us at TFT Podcast at Overthinking It dot com. Call us at twenty fat jog zero one. Call or text. That's two zero three two eight five six four. Zero one. Leave a comment on the site. Uh, you know, um, write your own songs, you damn teenagers. If you're an actual teenager, you know, uh, and you're you're freaking uh, Christopher Guest is Corky St. Clair esque sort of creepy drama teacher wants you to be in another damn production of uh, The Princess and the Pea. 
right? In, uh, you know, in your high school, don't do it. Go out and start your own band and write your own songs. Start your own singing group. Write your own play and do it on trash cans. Do it for your community. Do it for art everywhere. Do it for America. Do your own work mostly for these, these. fucking teenagers. Of spades, the ace of spades. Okay, first of all, that's not what Motorhead's guitar solo sound like. <laughs> <laughs>